Zechariah this evening. So if you will, make your way over to Zechariah chapter 2. We started it a few weeks ago, and, um, and we covered the first chapter in two studies, and now we're going to be in chapter 2, and we're going to cover it all in one night. It's not a long chapter. It's only um, 13 verses or so. And we continue to look at the visions uh, that the Lord is giving the prophet, prophet Zechariah. It, it, it's interesting that this young prophet um, was shown these visions. And, and I say that because there was a prophet that he came alongside of who was a little older. And the Lord had not given him visions, but it's not to say that the Lord didn't use him. The Lord used him in a different way to convey some messages to the people of Israel, but it wasn't through visions like this. Both messages were from the Lord, but both received them in a different way. And I do think that that is something that we need to understand, that God doesn't use everybody exactly the same way. From pastor to pastor, from even within our church here, from the pastors, we all differ from one another in our style, in the way we come across, the way we study, the way we, we present. And I think everybody is different in that way. And I do think that if, if there was only one way that God always spoke to the prophets, then we would probably have patented it and said, this is the only way God speaks. But it's not the case. With, with the prophet Zechariah, the, the, the Lord is using these visions. Now, he will speak through him in other ways, but in these first eight or six chapters, he speaks through him, to him through these visions, and it all happens during one night. It's interesting because, again, the difference, even though there's some similarities in how God uses us, there's differences because, again, this young man, he comes on the scene and he will be around for almost two years where the other prophet, Haggai, who had been around with him, he only he's only around for three and a half months. Not one was more important than the other. They were just used differently. And I love the way that, that our brother Roger was praying earlier that we would be servants and, and, and yet not everybody serves the same way. Everybody has a different feel. And, and, and not one is more important than the other because as, as important as it is to preach the word, it is just as important to be in that sound room making sure everything sounds good as well. And, 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 and just as important as the people that come in and clean the church because you guys have no clue who does that and you come in and it's like, oh, well, you just expect it to be clean. But there are people who serve in that capacity. And that you're just as important. And so, again, I love the fact that God gives us examples in his word. This young man comes on the scene, and he comes on the scene with this boldness. Even though that there's a, an older gentleman that's already ministering, he knows his place, and so, so does Haggai, the older guy, knows his place. And it's almost like he steps back, when this young man comes in to start doing the work. So by this time that, that we have Zechariah, we are in February 15th, 519 B.C. Haggai had given his last message 
on December 18th of 520 B.C. And so now he's kind of out of the picture. It doesn't tell us what happened to him. But this young man now, as he had come on the scene back in November, now in February, God is beginning to minister to him. And as we looked at last week, there's an angel who comes on the scene in this vision. And it seems that Zechariah is very much aware of what's going on. He's awake. He had this angel who comes and starts talking to him and explaining certain things to him. We also saw last week a group of horsemen going to and fro throughout the earth, doing the work that they are commanded to go do. More than likely, they are more angels. And then we saw the angel of the Lord also in our vision last week that we were looking at, who is more than likely the Lord himself, Jesus himself, who is on the scene. And so it's interesting because we're in this place, in this book, that there's these visions going on. It takes place all in one night. Zechariah is very engaged in this whole th deal. He's not freaking out. He's not going, oh my gosh, what's going on around me? It seems like he is inquisitive. He is wanting to know exactly what is going on. And I love that. I love the fact that he is in the middle of what God is doing. And he is just going like, what next? What next? Who's that? Where are they going? What are they doing? He's going all these things. And I love that because he is engaged. And so we're in Zechariah chapter 2. Let's read the whole chapter. Verse 1. Then I raised my eyes and looked, and behold, a man with a measuring line in his hand. So I said, Where are you going? And he said to me, To measure Jerusalem, to see what is the, the width and, and what is the length. And there was an angel who talked with me going out, and another angel was coming out to meet him who said to him, Run, speak to this young man, saying, Jerusalem shall be inhabited as towns without walls, because of the multitude of men and livestock in it. For I, says the Lord, will be the wall of fire, a wall of fire around her, and I will be the glory in her midst. Up, up. Flee from the land of the north, says the Lord, for I have spread you abroad like the four winds of heaven, <clears throat> says the Lord. Up, Zion, escape you who dwell with the daughter of, Zion, of Babylon. For thus says the Lord of hosts, he sent me after glory to the nations which plunder you. For he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. For surely I will shake my hand against them, and they shall become spoil to their servants, for their servants. Then I will know, or you will know, that the Lord of hosts has sent me. Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for behold, I am coming, and I will dwell in your midst, says the Lord. Many nations shall be joined to the Lord in that day. 
and they shall become my people, and I will dwell in their midst, in your midst. <clears throat> then you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me, and the Lord will take possession of Judah as his inheritance in the Holy Land, and will again choose Jerusalem. Be silent, all flesh, for before the Lord, before the Lord, for he is aroused from his holy habitation. So as we go back to verse 1 here, where he says, Then I raised my eyes and looked, and behold, a man with a measuring line in his hand. This phrase seems to indicate that that Zechariah, again, he has already seen two different visions going on in the first chapter. And he's taking it all in, and this phrase seems to indicate that he kind of looked down and or looked away as in, in, in an effort to, to maybe take in what he has seen or to gather his thoughts with what he has heard. And as he begins to look up, there's something different. Again, everything seems like it's, it, it, it's moving a little quick here. I don't know how fast things are going. I, I've never been in a vision like that in any way, shape, or form. You know, I've never experienced what he is experiencing, but he's in a place where, where again, whatever in between those two, two visions, he raises his eyes and there is another something in front of him that, that, that is kind of indicating there's a shift in, in the vision. It's not the same old vision. It's one long vision, but there's different visions in within this vision. And so he looks up again, and he looked, and behold, there's a man standing in front of him. He is now entering into that other vision, and this man in this vision is not identified. It tells us that he has a measuring line in his hand. Now again, looking up, the Hebrew, looking up other versions, looking up some commentaries, is like, what is this measuring line? Well, it's a measuring tape. That's it. It's a measuring tape. That's all it is that he has in his hand. And so, Zechariah in verse 2 says, so I said, where are you going? And he said to me, to measure Jerusalem to see what it's, its width and what is its length. Well, what is interesting is that he doesn't ask, who is that? But where, where are you going with this? Now, it could be that as he looked at this man, he looked familiar. So that's why he's not asking, who are you? Instead, Maybe knowing who this guy is, he's just saying, so where are you going with that? Now, the reason I say that is because some of the things that I'm reading, some of the commentaries that I'm reading, they suggest that the man with the measuring line is the angel of the Lord whom we met in one of the other vi- uh, visions. Now, again, I, I don't see it there. But they they go over to a prophecy from Ezekiel, from chapter 40 on, 
where there is a man who is measuring Jerusalem, he's measuring the temple, he's measuring everything, and, and it, the indications is that it's the Son of God, that it is God measuring the angel of the Lord. And so that's why some of these suggest that this could be the angel of the Lord. I don't really know who this man is, but he has a measuring tape. <laughs> and some people suggest, again, you wouldn't be measuring something out if it's not yours proper. And I thought, well, I could see that. But if you ain't got time to go measure out the city, man, you hire somebody to go measure out the city for you. So the Lord could have sent one of his angels to go do that. But it could be that the, the Lord himself is the one that's measuring out the city. So let's just say that the man with the measuring line is the angel of the Lord, as most suggest. The, angel, the, the, the Lord himself. And by measuring this city, he is declaring that it is his. And he will accomplish his divine purpose in that city. I, I do find it fascinating that, that throughout the, the years of Jerusalem, that there has been leaders, there has been representatives, there has been diplomats, there has been a lot of people in and out of Jerusalem, friend and foe. And they could debate what goes on and, and who should control and what, should, what they should do and things like that. But at the end of the day, Jerusalem is the Lord's. All day long, it's the Lord's. He will allow people to do stuff to Jerusalem, to take control of Jerusalem, he, good or bad, as, as we've seen through the kings. But at the end of the day, Jerusalem, the city, is, it is the city of God. It is his capital. That's where he decides this is where everything takes place. I just think that's fascinating because when you look at the map and you look at Israel as a whole, it's tiny. And then when you go a little closer, you see that Jerusalem is, is not that big. There's a lot of people there. But there's something about that place that God decided that portion of, of land is mine. And everything that we will see in the future takes place in Jerusalem. With all the fighting, with everything that will happen in the future. When we were looking at the book of Revelation a couple years ago, going through, everything converges on Jerusalem. And so again, is it God himself who is measuring Jerusalem? I don't know. But I do know that at the end of the day, he is the Lord over Jerusalem. It is his capital here on earth. Everything centers around that portion, the Temple Mount in particular, which is fascinating, 30-some acres of land. And, and, and that is like the most important portion of land in all of the earth. So he has the final say as to how big it is, how, 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 where the walls are going to go, how many people will be in it. He has, the, he has the final say in all of that. And it says, and the angel, and there was an angel who talked with me going out, and another angel was coming out to meet him.
So a second angel enters the vision here. The first angel was the one that was talking to Zechariah, and he is going out while the second angel is coming in. In other words, they are headed towards each other. Now, it would have been easier <clears throat> if he would have just given us names of these angels. Even if there were hard names that we mispronounce or that I mispronounce, at least we would have had this guy and this guy. But it gets a little confusing, even for me, as I'm looking at it, I'm going, who's talking now? <laughs> who's, who, who's saying what? And so, again, I try to keep it on track, so hopefully I don't lose you guys here. But it would have been easier to keep track of these angels. But verse 4, it says that the second angel tells the first angel who spoke to him, run, speak to this young man, saying... Jerusalem shall be inhabited as towns without walls because of the multitude of men and livestock in it. So the second angel is the one that's directing the first angel to run, to hurry, to, to, to be on the move, to go speak to this young man. And this young man here refers to Zechariah. And he goes to, to tell Zechariah about Jerusalem. Zechariah was the one with Haggai who had gotten Zerubbabel and Joshua back on track to begin or to resume building the temple. Jerusalem would be ex experiencing an expansion the likes that they had not seen before. Now, it could mean that, that it was going to be in the near future that there would be this expansion of people coming to Jerusalem and there would be rapid growth associated with it. But this vision is also looking further ahead. And that's what we have to look at. And I'll, I'll try to make the distinction because both, both of these times, the, the, the near future and ahead, the, the, the kingdom at the end are both being implied here. It's being implied. So, so this prophecy or this vision has an immediate fulfillment, but also a future fulfillment. So it's looking to the kingdom age. So the measuring could have meant that it wasn't big enough to what was in store for Jerusalem. In other words, what the Lord had in store for Jerusalem was beyond measure. And so he's going to measure it out, but he's saying, what I'm measuring out, it's going to be more so than, what I, than what's already there. There would be growth that would expand what its limits hold or held at that time. So the man with the measuring line was going beyond the walls, so to speak, and in essence indicating that the Lord was up to something that would be blowing their minds, that it was going to be bigger than, than anything that they had ever even imagined, imagined. Now, remember, again, they are still in the building stage of the temple and the foundation, basically, and the altar. That's, when, that's where they're at right now. Nehemiah, he would not come on the scene for about another 70 years. 
or so, and then build the wall around Jerusalem. So this vision is for the short term, but it is also for the longer term. Because again, it's looking for looking at this expansion that will happen because about 50,000 of these guys have come back from Babylon, but there's still a lot of them that are still in Babylon, and he is going to encourage them to come down. And so again, there's going to be an expansion when Nehemiah start, comes on the scene, and there would be more people coming. Now, we need to remember that when we were studying Nehemiah, when we were going through that book, that the, it was still limited as to who would be living in Jerusalem. But there would be plenty of people living right outside of Jerusalem. And so it would be expanded in about 70 years or so. And so this vision looks beyond the time of Nehemiah as well. It says, for, for I, says the Lord, will be the wall of fire around her, and I will be the glory in her midst. The return of the exiles from Babylon and what they were experiencing in Zechariah's time and the others who would be returning in Nehemiah's time, there would be this, this growth, this expansion, and God is saying, I will be the one that protects them. I will be the one that goes beyond them. I will be the one that goes over them. And so, so even though the glory that was going to come upon after they finished the, the, the temple that they would experience would be a smaller picture of what would happen when the final kingdom comes into play. So we can also look at the time when Christ came on the scene the first time. When the temple was there and he shows up the first time, the glory of God was with him. And so he would be in their midst. But Jesus really didn't come with fire. So he must be speaking about the second time he comes, that he will come with judgment and fire. But he will be the wall that surrounds them. And so the Lord is saying here that he will be Jerusalem, Jerusalem's protection from without, but he will also be Jerusalem's glory from within. And again, we see that in the short term, that when, Zach, when Nehemiah and when they finally finished the walls and, and Ezra comes on the scene, and even when Ezra came on the scene earlier, and he brings them back into worship. In the temple, and then once the walls are, are built, and 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 Ezra's back on the scene, that we see that the glory of the Lord just just came upon the people, and they learned how to worship again, and there was this glory that just shone on them from the Lord, and 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 in a small picture, we see the glory of the Lord, but but when we start looking at the further prophecy of the kingdom age, then, then we're going to see, as, as we have read through other portions of scripture, that when the kingdom age comes into play, the millennial kingdom, then the glory of the Lord will be in and among them. 
and he will protect them from without, but he will, he will be the glory from within. And that is when Jesus comes and rules and reigns, and all his glory will be on, this, on display. And so in verses 6, in verse 6, he says, Up, up, flee from the city, or flee from the land of the north, says the Lord. For I have spread you abroad like the, wind, the four winds of heaven, says the Lord. Up, Zion, escape, you who dwell with the daughter of Babylon. This, this vision seems to be a, a practical application of what we've just seen in the other visions, which, which, which were addressed by Zechariah's um, or, or he addressed his, his contemporaries there. Those people that were still up north, but those who were still, who were now with him, those who were in Babylon, he is urging to come back to Jerusalem. In other words, the Lord was admonishing the Jews who were still in Babylon to leave that city, that region, and that they were to come back down and join the remnant in Jerusalem. And so he is challenging them as to why, why would you remain in the comfort and security of a pagan society when you are desperately needed in your own land? And he's basically calling them out of the world and coming back to where they belong in the presence of the Lord, where God dwells. And so it's almost like this, this picture of saying, okay, you've been out and about. So there's some who have come back. Now I'm challenging you to leave those comforts of the world and come and serve me in the land of your fathers. And it's quite a challenge for these people because, again, the people that remained in Babylon, they had acclimated to the Babylonian society and now it's into the Persian society. They are doing very well, most of them, a lot of them. And that's why they didn't all leave when, when Cyrus gave the command to go back home. When Darius said, go ahead, some of them stayed, a lot of them stayed because they were comfortable. They didn't want to change their lifestyle. They understood that going back to Jerusalem would not be easy. But those who headed back, they were leaving the comforts and securities of what they knew, but they knew that God was calling them to come back. See, the day would come when Babylon, which was now under Persian rule, would be judged for their sins. And those who served her would in turn turn around and plunder her. In other words, they would come against one another. And so it would be getting ugly soon enough. And the admonition here, the admonishment here is get out while there is still opportunity. It says, for I have spread you abroad like the four winds of heaven. You see, the Lord himself had spread or scattered his people like 
or as the four winds of heaven, not so much to the four winds of heaven, but like the four winds of heaven, he had spread them out. The difference being that he knew exactly where he had taken them. It's not like he just let them fly and he just scattered them, doesn't know where they're at. He knew exactly where he was taking his people. And he says, I was the one that scattered you abroad. I was the one that took you to where I needed you to be, to be taken care of, even though there was going to be hardship and pain. They were going to have to pay the consequences for their sin. And he knew exactly where these exiles were. They were intact, if you will. They were right where the Lord had taken them. But now it was time for them to come back home. And he knew where to find them, and he knew how to call them to come back. And he is using this young man, Zechariah, in this vision to begin to, to call them out, to flee, to return, to escape from Babylon. Now, what we do need to understand is that this admonition didn't apply to every Jew who remained in Babylon. You see, it's not that those who remained were now going to be out of God's will because there would be some who would stay there and they would have to stay there for God's purpose. Just like when God sent Joseph into Egypt, into slavery. The, the situation of how he got there wasn't the ideal one, but he got there nonetheless, and God's hand was upon him. His brothers meant it for evil, but God meant it for good because he knew that he would save his people. So he needed him in a different country, Egypt. So What's happening here is that some of the people were going to stay in Babylon. People like Esther, people like Mordecai, who, who again needed to be in that particular area because of what Haman was going to uh, conspire to kill all the Jews. So we needed guys like that and people like that to stay in those positions. Men like Daniel and Ezekiel. Men like, like uh, Daniel's friends, men like, like Nehemiah, who would come 70 years later. All these guys were in, in, in places of authority in pagan cities, and God was using them there for certain purposes. Again, God calls us to come back home, but he also calls some people to stay in, in certain places not because they're out of God's will, because he needs them to be a light. He needs them for his purpose in other places. Not everybody is called to be in the ministry itself, but everybody is called to minister. <laughs> not everybody is called to work here because then we wouldn't be able to reach all the people that you get to reach. I was talking to a brother the other day, and he is telling me, what God is doing with him, where he is at. And I just found it fascinating because I told him, I could never reach those people. I could never be where you are at. That's why God has you where you're at. And again, sometimes we, we think like, yeah, but if I could only be in this place or that place, it's like be satisfied. 
of where God has you because, again, he places people where he needs them. And they're there for his purpose. But he was calling a majority of them to come back. He was summoning them, bidding them, beckoning them to come. He was calling many of these Jews to put away the comfort, to put away their vocation and their security to go and do the work that God had for them in their own sacred, holy, sanctified city. And those guys were supposed to be obedient to leave everything behind to come and do the work in Jerusalem. These Jews, all of them, they are precious in his sight. And he uses a phrase here, and he calls them the apple of his eye. And I love that because it's such a tender phrase. The, the, the word apple actually means pupil. These are the pupils of his eye or the pupil of his eyes. In Deuteronomy chapter uh, 32, verse 10, it says, He found him in a desert land and in a wasteland, a hallowed, hallowing wilderness. He encircled him. He instructed him. He kept him as the apple of his eye talking about his people. The psalmist in Psalm 17, verse 8, says this, Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me under the shadow of your wings. Again, what a tender phrase that is, that is used here about his people. The pupil, as I was reading, the pupil is a very tiny opening in the iris and it lets the light in and it is a very delicate and important area of the eye therefore as, as I was writing these things down here everything dear and precious to God are like the apple or the pupil of his eye to the Lord and I know that he's talking about Israel and I know that he's talking about his people. But I have to look at this and say, Lord, I know that we are not Israel, nor do we replace Israel in any way. But we are your church. <laughs> we are your bride. We are yours. And, and, and it just, again, as I try to apply all these things to my life, going, Lord, am I the apple of your eye? <laughs> Am I that precious to you that you would look at me and consider me to be that precious in your sight? He says, going back a little bit in verse 8, He sent me after glory to the nations which plunder you. In other words, He, God the Father, sent me, God the Son, the angel of the Lord after glory, that is to bring him glory. And we see this in, 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 in the life of Jesus. When he was here on earth, everything he, he did, his whole life, from ministry to his death to his resurrection, it was all to bring God glory. All of it. 
And part of that glory will involve the future restoration of Israel in the kingdom age. Where he will rule and reign here on the earth. And he says this in verse 9, For surely I will shake my hand against them, and they shall become a spoil to their servants. Then you will know that that the Lord of hosts has sent you. I want to read these, that, that verse in two different translations. The New Living Translation says this, I will raise my fist to crush them, and their own slaves will plunder them. Then, they will, then you will know that the Lord of heaven's armies has sent me. The Amplified puts it like this, Behold, I will swing my hand over them, and they shall become plunder to those who serve them. Then you shall know, recognize, and understand that the Lord of hosts has sent me his messenger. And so the Lord is reminding these people or reminding or telling Zechariah through this vision that, that everything was for the glory of God and that he would take care of those who had come against Israel. He will shake their fist at them. He will crush them so that they will know that the Lord of hosts is the one who is doing this. The promises that are coming from this vision are that God, the God of Israel, will accomplish what he has set out to do with his people. Oh, they will pay for the consequences of their sin for sure. But he was going to bring them back at an appointed time after sending them into captivity. He appointed 70 years for them. And in 70 years, he brought them back because he promised them. So in the short term, they would see the protection from without and the glory from within. But this vision looked into the future as well to the end of the age, to the kingdom age as well. Then you will know, he says, then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me. If in fact, in the short term, they saw much of of this come to pass and they understood that they were the promises of the Lord, that they were true, then they would have confidence that in the future, the Lord would be just as faithful. So if they seen the promises in the short term, then they would rest assured that everything that was written in the word of God would take place in the future kingdom. Now, I think that the reason that that he shares this kind of assurance with us is because the Lord knows that man has a short-term memory loss. (laughs) And we tend to forget that God is faithful and that God's promises are true. And I think so often when God reveals stuff to us, we say, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you, and then we turn around and we forget what he has done. And he reminds us again and again through his word. And, 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 and again, what this vision, and, and again, in particular, is reminding us that God was going to be with them in the short term and in the long term. He would always be with them. God would never, ever leave them. The fact that he sent 
him to them in the first place. He would re, it was a reminder that he would always be with them. And so in verses 10 through 13 here, where it says, Sing and rejoice, O daughter of, of Zion, for behold, I am coming, and I will dwell in your midst, says the Lord. Many nations shall be joined to the Lord in that day, and they shall become my people, and I will dwell in, their, in your midst. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you, and the Lord will take possession of Judah as his inheritance in the Holy Land, and again choose Israel, and again will choose Israel, or Jerusalem. Be silent, all flesh, before the Lord, for he is aroused from his holy habitation. So, so with promises like this, that he is giving Zechariah, it is... It, it, it makes no sense that the people would not be singing, shouting, rejoicing, and being glad. With these kinds of promises, we ought to understand that God's word is true. Because the promises, or the promise is that their Messiah would come and dwell with them, just as the glory of God had dwelt in the tabernacle and in the temple, he says, I will once again do that. Now, if you read the book of Ezekiel. The prophet Ezekiel declares the new city and the and the temple from from chapters forty to forty eight to the end of the, of the of the book. And at the close of the book, when you look at the last verse, verse thirty five of chapter forty eight, the prophet names this glorious new city as Jehovah Shammah, which means the Lord is there. And so from chapter 40 to 48, he gives this amazing picture of the kingdom age. And he measures everything that's in it, every little thing that's in it. And he describes all of that. And he says, and the Lord is there. The Lord is there. And, and I, as I was reading this this afternoon in, in, uh, in, in Matthew, I, I was reading about how when Jesus was, was being born, as we look for next week, and how he will be Emmanuel, God with us. God is there. He is always there. But as we look into the future still, in that day, many Gentiles will trust in the Lord. And they will be joined with Israel in that glorious kingdom over which the Messiah will rule and reign. Now here in verse 12 is the only place in Scripture where we have this phrase, holy land, in the holy land. It's the only place that Israel or Palestine is called the holy land. Now, we, we designate that even today when we talk about Israel, but it really doesn't apply to Israel even today. You see, the land will not be holy until Messiah cleanses the people. When Messiah cleanses the land and returns to rule and reign. And it talks about that in chapter 3, verse 9. And then in chapter 13, it talks about a fountain that will be opened. And he will wash away, the, 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 uh, wash away sins and all uncleanness. And then in Isaiah, chapter uh, 
62 verse 12 it says that the Jews will be called his holy people and to that man there's some rejoicing that should be going on but the last verse here it says be silent all flesh for before the Lord for he has aroused for he is aroused from his holy habitation It is, it is something that will happen that will make the, the, the nations of the earth pause and consider in this silence. In other words, all human, the human race will bow down in silence and in awe before the Lord God Almighty. Why? Because before Messiah comes to rule and reign, he will judge the nations of the earth during the period of time called the time of Jacob's trouble, the day of the Lord, the great tribulation. We, we, we covered those things back in Matthew chapter 24. It will be a time of intense suffering when the nations will receive their just sentences for their, their, their ungodliness and their inhumanity towards a people, especially against Jerusalem against Israel for he is aroused he is aroused from his habitation it says the nations of the world will experience the divine wrath of God and they will not be able to escape now what I find fascinating as we close up here is that in these three uh, visions that we have seen we've learned that God watches the nations and knows what they are doing all nations even today, he knows exactly what's going on in every nation. Nothing escapes him. And he will judge the nations for their sins, every nation. Especially those who have mistreated Israel. And we've learned that, that there will be a glorious time in the future that God has planned for Jerusalem and for the Jewish nation. And at that time, Messiah, Jesus, will return and cleanse them and restore them to glory. And he will be in their midst. And so it's no wonder that when we read or we pray the Lord's Prayer where it says, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It is because when we pray that prayer, we are praying for the peace of Jerusalem. And there will be no peace in Jerusalem until the Prince of Peace himself finally rules and reigns in his glory. And so these promises, I know that they pertain to Israel. Not only in the days of Zechariah and in the short term. Some of these things will come to pass in Zechariah's day or before the Old Testament is done. But for sure in the future, when the day of the Lord comes, in that final kingdom, all of these promises will be fulfilled, that he will be among them, and he will protect them, and he will be the glory. But when it comes to us as the church, we know that there is a difference between us and the church, or between Israel and, and us, the church. We never take the place of Israel, guys. Israel has its own special place in God. And even though we're in a time of, 
of, of grace. We're in this age of grace, the church age. He is not done with Israel. And so all these promises, they pertain to Israel, to the nation of Israel, and what will happen in the end. But just like he was faithful and is faithful to Israel, he will always be faithful to us, his church. And so as I'm looking over this, as I'm praying over this, as I'm studying over this, I know that it pertains to Israel. But it reminds me of his faithfulness. Because if he is faithful to Israel, and we know how Israel messed up, <laughs> and yet he still loves them. I just have to be reminded, Lord, if they are the apple of your eye still, and they've messed up royally, and you're not done with them, and you will draw them in, how much more his bride, how much more us, his church, that he loves on us. It, re it, it just reiterates his faithfulness. If he is faithful to Israel, he will be faithful to you and I. If his promises are true back then, his promises are true today. I want to close off with, with this chapter, with this verse, these verses. And we sang the song earlier. But it says in 2 Corinthians 1, 20 to 22, it says, For all the promises of, of God in him are yes, and in him amen, to the glory of God through us. Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God who also has sealed us and given us the spirit in our hearts as a guarantee so guys as as we read through the old testament as we see how God is faithful to Israel he continues to be faithful to you and I amen let's pray father in heaven thank you so much for your word Thank you for your promises, Lord. As we read just how much you love Israel, as we read, Lord God, that you send young men like Zechariah, old men like Haggai, people like Ezekiel and Zechariah, who, who came and they prophesied and warned your people, challenged your people, Lord. You have not forgotten them. Lord, even though they rejected Jesus, even though they turned their back on the Messiah who came the first time, Lord, you are not done with them. And we know that one day, Lord God, you will turn their hearts back towards you. And many will come, Lord. You promised that in your word. We've seen that once again tonight, Lord. Father, as a church, we want to continue to be faithful to you, Lord. Many of the promises, Lord God, that we have in your word are yes want to be confident, Lord, that what you've promised us, Lord, you will fulfill. And so, Lord, we're just so grateful and so thankful for your word. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity of opening it up. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand as we sing this last song. If you need prayer for anything.